This podcast is a member of the Voices of Wrestling podcasting network. Visit VoicesOfWrestling.com to hear the rest of our great podcasts, as well as show reviews, columns, opinions, and updates across the world of wrestling. Hello everybody and welcome to the Super Jcast. I'm John Abraham, joined by David McDonald. Uh, I apologise for the audio quality this week because my microphone died. Haven't been able to get a new one yet. Been a pretty crazy week, hasn't it, Damon? Oh my god, this has been. Uh, I mean, I know everybody's been saying it. I know we're a little late to the party, but this has been. I there's never been a week in my life like this, and and it's not going to end. Um, it's been. Crazy. Um, you you go outside and you you feel like everything's okay because the sun's shining and it's not like it's a hurricane where you can physically see what's going on. Yet all ab- around you is chaos and gone, and the things the things that comfort you and the things that you are used to in your everyday life is suddenly ripped up and thrown out the window. Um, it's a weird feeling when you get two income streams gone in less than 48 hours. <laughs> it's, it's a weird feeling when that happens that you would never so what, thought. What was that? Which was Sports. Was that? So first sports, right? Mm-hmm. This is for me personally. So the sports reporting, um, is done. Um, there isn't, there are no sports to, to cover. So the Flyers and the Eagles and the Sixers and the Phillies, NHL season is shut down. They, they are not playing any games. There's nothing there. Sixers, basketball, nothing. So the entire leagues are shut down. I don't have money coming in because there's nothing to report. Um, I am a per-game employee, um, freelance. So um, that money's not coming in. Uh, the second one is, for people who don't know, Joel knows, but um, so I would do like pub quiz, uh, trivia, quizzo, whatever you want to call it. Um, it's called Geeks Who Drink. Um, and I ran a, sh- a thing, you know, two hours at night um, doing that as well. That's another in- income stream, gone. So that's that's like a... You know, a, a weird thing to have happen. Um, over and above the fact that in New Jersey, we have an 8 p.m. curfew. You, you are not allowed to leave the house after 8 p.m., only for essential people. Um, we have no restaurants open. We have no bars open. Let me, let me repeat that <laughs> and realize who this is and how this is impacting let me repeat that. We have no bars open. Uh, we have um, uh, all of uh, our state. Almost everybody is working from home. Only only f- other people that aren't working from home um, are like really essential people. Um, and we have statewide mandates that say you have to have 50% of your workforce working from home. Um, it's, it's crazy. It's absolutely fucking crazy. And I never thought in my life that we would be, be here. 
Um, so yeah, I mean, you. I mean, when this when this virus, um, you know, we were talking about this coronavirus. You know, it directly impacted you first. Yeah, I was going to say you guys are going through what I went through about two months ago. Right. When in my town in Shama, we had all the shutdowns, all the cafes closed, all the bars, all the restaurants, people working from home, just anything non-essential was shut down. And that was very mm. strange for me. And now I, I didn't imagine that the rest of the world would be following suit. So it's very strange for me to see you guys going through something which I thought was incredibly weird at the time. Right. Right. Well, well then let's, let's do this. Joel, you went through this. And I think that you are a valuable resource uh, to a lot of our listeners who, I'm going to be honest with you, are probably going a little stir-crazy, right? They're probably, you know, they don't really know what's going on or what to expect or what. Give give us a little taste of what, I mean, you have before. I mean, if you're a listener to this show, we have t- touched on it quite frequently. But, like, what, how long does, how long do you, do you expect this to go on? Well, for Chairman's example, we fairly recently, like a couple of weeks ago, the last uh, confirmed coronavirus patient was discharged. So as things stand, I mean, if you if you take those government statistics at face value, Chairman is free of the coronavirus. So I think there's something to be said for the fact that this shutdown isolation thing is quite effective. And I've been saying it before, you can't do it halfway you can't have you know oh well let's close down the sports but then you know everyone can go to restaurants and everyone's going to work as per normal you do have to cut things back quite drastically to slow this down so if you use shaman as a benchmark i would expect things to improve maybe in a month or two month and a half okay so we're looking uh a conservative estimate of may um what, how, and again, you might not be able to answer this, but maybe you could just give us a, 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 a your feeling or gut or, because you, again, you are that you were there it, it, and you are there. Um, how did this impact business and how did this impact, uh, you know, the shop owners and those restaurant owners and those, those people that depend upon that foot traffic and that, and, and people coming in and, and spending money on their services and goods? I don't know any personally, but I imagine pretty devastating. I mean, I'm very lucky to work in an industry where I can do my job from home and I'm still getting paid. And most of my social circles in Shaman are also teachers at the international school. So it hasn't hit us that hard at all. I mean, apart from some travel disruptions and things like that, we're fine. But I'm just speculating as far as, you know, business owners and people working in retail and th- service industry, things like that, it must be devastating. And that is, I think, one of the biggest concerns. And also, of course, the effects that it's having on the, the sick and the elderly, which right. people have been too quick to handle. Oh, it only affects the old people. Well, that's that's really bad as well. You know, we should be protecting old people and we shouldn't uh, dismiss so lightheartedly the prospect of them getting sick and, and seriously ill or, or at worst dying. And I think, I mean, for Shaman at least, even though it is quote-unquote virus-free, there are still fundamental changes to the way we live our lives. I mean, I'm not there at the moment, actually, I'm in Bangkok, but any foreigners returning to the country 
have to undergo two weeks of hard quarantine in a hotel. They've got to pay for it themselves. So if I were to fly back to Sherman tomorrow, I would be paying out of my own pocket, stay in a hotel for two weeks, not allowed to leave the room, meals delivered to my door. So it's it's pretty serious business there. So, I mean, they've done the work to get it virus-free, but then it also takes a hell of a lot of work to keep it that way. And there's no guarantees about the efficacy of that. Right. Right. I mean, the next step here, I mean, we already have cities that are, I mean, San Francisco is an example of, you know, they shut down. I mean, they are literally restricted to their homes. Um, And we're, we're, we, we are, that's our next step. Um, New York is already considering it strongly. Um, That's their next step. Jersey, next step. Um, Our, our big problem is testing. So we don't have the means we, we don't have the test kits and we don't have the the manpower to test so every but but even with that said it's still getting better um and every day you wake up and it's like oh you, it's doubled from what it was when you went to bed right? and you know it's it's that um i'll tell you what Joel when 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 this is all over and it will be over it, it, there will be an end to this if we do this right and 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 we suffer uh, socially, um, there is going to be a party <laughs> in this country and all over the world uh, like we've never seen before. We will see orgies in the streets, I'm telling you. It's going to be like people getting out of prison is, is what it's going to be. Um, there will be that concert that you thought about, eh, maybe I don't know. You're going, right? You're going. To, that vacation, you're probably putting the credit card down. Uh, it will be a. It will be almost like the '60s. I predict, with with people running around nude in the streets, uh, and uh, looking for some type of release from this. This. Um, I'm worried I, about you, Dan. Have you got your toilet paper stacked up? <laughs> We've got plenty of toilet paper. Uh, I don't know why. I don't know how that. Why toilet paper of all things? I don't. I don't. Why is that? And like, it, it, no, seriously. Even if you were in in it, you had nothing. You had no type of anything. Not even like an old T-shirt you couldn't rip up. And and just take a shower. I mean, just hop in a shower. It's a little gross, but okay, just do it. Um, The bum gun. Yeah, right. Everyone's got to get on board with the bum gun. Here's my hot take. Using toilet paper is disgusting. I agree. If If you were to get shit on your hands... You would not get a piece of tissue or paper yes. to smear that shit on your hands. You will wash your hands with water. Yep. So I know not everyone can have a bidet or bidet, as you might say. Weezy. But uh, since living in Thailand, that opened my eyes to the wonders of the bum gun. And I know in Japan, they've got the very fancy electronic toilets as well. But you don't need that. You just need to install the little kind of spray gun next to your toilet. We, It's so important to us. We install one in our home in Shaman and... If everyone just followed suit and used one, which is the best way to keep your anus clean, then we wouldn't have all this nonsense with people hoarding toilet paper. It's just it's just absolutely insane to me. I feel like I've lost touch with reality. I agree 100%. Joe, you are spot on. Uh, th- this country, and for all of its faults, I say its biggest one is we are so far behind on toilet technology. We, we, we are in this fucking stone age when it comes to toilet technology. We have nothing. We have literally just the thing that you push to, to, to let the water flow. That's it. We don't have any heater. We don't have any uh, spray jets. We don't have shit. We have nothing. Tar- yeah, and you're right. The wi- I agree with you. Wiping does nothing. 
It does nothing. I spend more time wiping than I do shitting. I feel like, I don't know how my ass does it. I feel I feel like it just, I don't know. I don't know what cavernous asshole I apparently have, but I feel like I could wipe for days and still not feel 100% clean. Never. I always, you have to have to, all right, well, here's the thing. Well, you got these things, these, these wet wipes, right? Okay, well, the reason why you have a wet wipe is because you need you need that moisture, that dry shit. All you're doing is spreading around. Why are we talking about this? <laughs> we haven't done a show in days. We're talking about wiping our asses. Um, <sighs> but yeah, that's that's where we are right now, Joel. I mean, I like that day, that that forty eight hours of, and I was actually watching that basketball game. Which funny enough, um, where the it all it took is sports. Like when 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 people started losing their sports and seeing what happened in sports, uh, that's when it seemed like guys woke up. Right? It seemed like like wait what they're shutting down the season. Oh wait, that season shutting down too. And this this all happened like you know somebody pulled the string on a sweater, and then everything just started fucking snowballing. And the closest thing I could come to the feeling that you were getting, Joel, was. I hate to say it, it was, was like 9-11 in, in the sense of the news, be, you're being bombarded with bombshells of, pardon the pun, of just news hitting you, you know, because everybody's on their phone and it's like, oh, they just shut down the Masters. Oh, they canceled the Final Four. Oh, they, um, just all these Masters. Euro 2020, that's going to be next summer as well. Yeah. Premier League, Premier League seasons postponed. I don't know when they're coming back. The Arsenal manager, Mikel Arteta, he got the COVID-19 yeah. virus. Yeah. I mean, right now we got, I think the number's up to like eight NBA players. They just announced yesterday um, uh, one player in hockey the on the Ottawa Senators has it. I can't believe no one in wrestling. I cannot believe no one in wrestling doesn't have or is carrying it. Um they probably do. They're just like trying to tough it out and no sell it because it's an industry wrestling where you are actively disincentivized from revealing illness or injury, particularly if you work for WWE under a guy like Vince McMahon who doesn't believe in illness right. and viruses and sickness like that. Right. Right. You sneeze in front of them and you get fired. Um, I can't believe that. Yeah. I can't believe that you. Don't hear about these, even these empty arena shows getting nixed uh, and getting, you know, shut down. I, I, I can't believe they're allowed to even do that. I mean, we have in New Jersey, you're, we're not allowed to have, uh, we're not allowed to congregate 10 or more people is the number that they set. 10, 10 people. Um, they got more than ten people that I'm looking at AEW last night. Like, and listen, I was just going to say that it <laughs> looked like a distinctly above ten congregation there. In, yeah, in that empty arena. Yeah, I mean, I mean, I listen. I appreciate what they did last night. I, I really do. And that you can you can like AEW, you can hate AEW, you can like it, you can think it's great. I don't. That's not the conversation we're going to have here. Um, Look, we confess up to being envious of AEW fans. Yep, still getting their product. Yep, and, and WWE good. fans who are getting two nights of WrestleMania from uh, various empty arena locations, from what I understand. I wonder where they got that idea. <laughs> yeah, I know. Really. I know. Well, don't worry about it. It'll look just like WrestleMania too. Nobody gives a shit, and it's in different arenas. <laughs> I mean, 
just it'll be like just it. it's like performance theater there's something very dramatic about people cutting promos to absolute silence i know it really is and i mean listen uh, i did backyard wrestling you know you know people always shit on the backyard wrestling well now now it's come now that that skill's coming in pretty fucking handy isn't it isn't it now uh <laughs> we can go back to hwi i can pop out the old tapes Show you how it's really done to perform in front of nobodies. <laughs> oh, what a fucking week. Joel, it has been unfucking real And add, add to this, because we do a New Japan Pro Wrestling podcast, we're still, we're still pining to bring up that word. We're still pining for a return. Um, I mean, fingers are crossed heavily. Uh, correct me if I'm wrong, but they have a. By the time people listen to this, this announcement might already be out. But um, Japan has um, a bit of a, a, a presser, a news conference, probably as we're doing this right now, to kind of talk about how they're handling large gatherings and events and stuff like that. Correct? That that, that I see that come across uh, our phones. Yeah, I mean, for context, there was a tweet from Kidani, who's the the owner of Bushiroad, I think, who says, I have a feeling that good news will come with the blooming of the cherry blossoms. For the last month, Bushiroad have been securing our defences. I'd like to start the counter-attack soon, which sounded quite promising to me, and rumours about that Sakura Genesis will be the comeback show. But like you said, we're waiting on this government announcement. And looking around at other Bushiroad uh, properties, Stardom are selling tickets for their Korakuen show on the 24th. So we're waiting for this announcement from the Japanese government hopefully this evening with updated guidelines on large-scale events. Uh, from what I understand, most analysts are expecting a yellow light at the worst, but you know we can never be 100% sure what the outcome of that will be. So in Japan, the sports, education, and entertainment are all handled by the same ministry. So headlines are going to be about if the schools are, will open for the new semester or not. And then from that, we can imagine that will determine whether or not New Japan can return. Yeah. And I know that they have something, you know, they have those Olympics just looming right over them. And they are, oh boy, there are, there are some sleepless nights on that Japanese Olympic committee. I you guarantee you. You cannot go through with the Olympics, surely. I mean, if Euro 2020, which takes place in June, has been postponed for a year, which is on, I think, a smaller scale than the Olympics... But similar idea, you know, sports people flying in from all over the continent, um, fans flying in from everywhere, and that's just based within Europe, and they've pulled the plug on that. You cannot go ahead with the Olympics, surely. That that would be crazy if they still had them. Not only from okay, the infrastructure issue, but let's just break it down all the way back to the actual athletes. How are the athletes training for this, right? I mean... They're they're in the same situations we are now. Again, if you are, are, are a distance runner, okay, maybe you, maybe you can still be running outside. Uh, but you know, team sport, volleyball, uh, you know, they're closing pools and, and 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 training facilities and stuff like like. How do you expect these athletes to just be like, okay, you haven't done anything in months, we're gonna plop you in the Olympics, go go compete, go get that medal. Uh, that that's that's asking a lot, I think. Um, and then you look at you know just the infrastructure of Japan and Tokyo specifically. You're bringing in, you're 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 you're, you're doing. I think they got to test everybody that that comes in. 
Are they going to do that? Do you have to have proof that you've been tested recently? I mean, how is that going to how's that going to look and how's that going to feel? Listen, I'm sure they're scrambling right now trying to figure out any way to make it happen. But the idea of oh, we're hosting an Olympics in a city like Tokyo that is already stretched to the gills when it comes to people and 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 commuting and all that stuff in, in any major city. Now you're going to add the pressure of the Olympics. And now, on top of that, we're going to add an extra layer of cake. Coronavirus. Hmm. That doesn't sound like a delicious cake to me. Yeah. If, you know, put the gun to my head, I don't think it happens. It's just one of those situations where you have to prioritize and think, in the grand scheme of things, these big sporting events, as much as we miss them and as much as, it's, you know, it will severely uh damage the economy and the fact that they've been gearing up for this thing and it's going to be a huge blow to Japan to lose it. Got to think of safety first. Yeah. Yeah, I I feel terrible too because they, and I agree with you, um, man, for the past two or three years at least, the hotel I stay at is right next to that government building um, where you can, like the observation deck is and everything. It's right across the street. Um, and you would see the, the, the Olympic signage and I mean, years ago, I mean, like I said, two years, I can remember saying shit, they were pumped. They were excited. They've been, they've been, they've been promoting it for (laughs) forever. And yeah, they can feel it slipping through their fingers, unfortunately. And I do feel bad, but yeah, you got it. We're at, we're at the point where you got to do what you got to do. And everybody's suffering, so <sighs> yeah, it sucks. This is a weird. This is the weirdest time I've ever been alive, y'all. No, no joke. The, the the weirdest time I've ever been alive. Just I I don't I don't think anybody uh, here now has has ever gone through. Like, nobody's gone through the, like the Spanish flu, right? right? Um, it's just weird, man. It's just weird. I am. I will say this. Um. I'm, well, I was going to say I'm proud of, of people and how they're they're kind of holding it together. But then you look on the news and you, you look at, like, <laughs> no toilet paper. So it's like, okay, well, are we really doing that great? Um, I don't know. I don't know how to feel and how to react. All I know is that now my wife's working from home and <laughs> I have no freedom anymore. <laughs> I can't. This is terrible. I can't stand it. Uh, I like my private time. All right. Um how let's can we, wait a minute we're talking about bad news what the what the fuck we've got great we actually have great news on this show ladies and gentlemen i'm sure you've heard and i'm sure Bad that farley is still the linear ace of new japan <laughs> that is one of the plus sides in new japan cup being cancelled <laughs> that is that's not what you were going to say right no that's not what that is great news i'm sure that is not what we were going to be saying joel Abraham, ladies and gentlemen, let's give it up. Let's get let's put a smile on our face. Let's 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 talk about some cheerful shit here. Ladies and gentlemen, our own the host, the leader of the Super J cast is a father. Woo! Woo! Didn't I say this would happen, Damon? I was you did. I, I joked before that I'd get the latest episode out pop the baby out and be ready to return next week. And that is almost literally what happened. So the latest episode went up 
Well, for me, I guess that would have been very late uh, Wednesday night, Thursday morning. And Mally woke me up the same night, about 3 a.m. Water started to break. So first thing in my mind was like, great, I've got a week to get through this before we can record the next podcast. And I won't have anyone uh, having to jump in to steal my spot on the show. So <laughs> it all worked out brilliantly. Uh, but yeah, we, we went into the hospital Um she wasn't in proper labour, but the waters have broken at that point. So it's kind of risky to not have labour, but have broken waters because there's recent infection and stuff like that. So we waited for hours and hours and hours, but Manny was not dilated enough for them to even think about inducing labour. So they just did a C-section. Apparently the doctor we've got is some C-section hotshot. So I, I thought this was going to happen. So he was like, let's do a C-section. I was like, mm, <laughs> okay, whatever, I trust you. And we were in and out of the operating theatre in about 10, 15 minutes. It was wow. unreal. It was just like, right, there's your baby. I'm off. See you later. Who's <laughs> <laughs> probably back home. <laughs> wow. That's crazy. So give me, walk us through a little bit. Uh, the water breaks, 3 o'clock in the morning. What's going through your head? Are you just like super excited? Are you nervous? Are you like, oh my God, here we are? Like what, give me, give me what's in your head. I was thinking this is not it yet because from what I've been told and the classes I've done and the reading and everything is that water breaking doesn't necessarily mean labor and delivery. So I was like, okay, your waters might be breaking. Just phone the hospital, tell them unless you're having very strong contractions, then we don't need to panic just yet. But Mally was like, no, no, let's go to hospital. So I was like, okay, fine. So by the time she decided that we should go to hospital, I was like, yeah, this is probably going to be it now. So, yeah, very excited, very nervous. Um, and you expect it to be one of these sort of transformative life experiences where you get given your baby, you know, your own flesh and blood in your hands and then just love at first sight and you're like, oh, this is amazing. But the main feeling that I had sitting in that operating theatre was, please, nobody die. Because uh, it's been well, stuff I don't want to talk about, but it's been an emotional week for me. And I was just mainly sitting there next to Mally, hoping that she makes it through okay and Esther comes out okay. And so I'm sitting there watching Mally's heart rate monitor as that's going up, thinking, oh, God, I hope she doesn't die. And then the baby coming out and listening for the crying. Oh, she's not crying yet. Oh, God, I hope she doesn't die. <laughs> I'm sorry to be really morbid, but that was what I was feeling. And then once they told me, yeah, Mally's okay, the baby's okay, it's more of a feeling of relief than, ah, yeah. oh, yay, I'm a dad. So that kind of uh, the joy and ecstasy of parenthood was tempered somewhat by <laughs> my absolute terror that something bad was going to happen. No, that's, that, that's, I appreciate that honesty. I, didn't, I know everybody does too. Um, yeah, that had to be really, that had to be super stressful on you, man. I mean, yeah, but the, I, the, whole t- the whole time through this whole process from, you know, starting the IVF to getting the baby home, I've just been expecting the worst. And maybe that's just my personality that I'm a, I don't know, a pessimist or, or realist or whatever. I'm just was playing these like very uh, <laughs> macabre scenarios in my head. Like, what if this happens? What if this happens? What if this happens? I'm not wanting to get carried away because I know so many things can go wrong in these kind of situations that, um, yeah, it was more a sense of relief for me than anything else. 
Wow, man, that's I, I feel bad. I, I feel bad. For, I feel great for you that you got through it. I feel great that you know that that all that pressure is is off of you because yeah, your mind can really. It is amazing how your mind just wants to fuck with you. <laughs> you know what I mean? It's it's it's. Trust me, I know it. I know it very well. Um, that's yeah. I'm proud of you, man. That's very good. Awesome job by you. Um, and I'm real. I'm like I said when when I got the news and the texts from you. I, you were I, like I, the first person I messaged, by the way. Oh my god, really? Was I really? Uh, yeah. So there's, I think you you and Dan and my family. Definitely, you guys would oh, right at the top of the list. That's fucking awesome. Well, I feel I feel honored. Uh, we, Cheryl and I were smiling ear to ear, um, seeing those pictures. Uh, we were we were so thrilled uh, that everything worked out and everything turned out well. And uh, and, and, and listen, we're talking about you. Uh, and a great, again, great job by you, but uh, Mally as well. I mean, she she was a trooper through this whole thing. So she's amazing. She's been so strong. It's just absolute inspiration through the whole thing. And even now, like that's the hardest part for her. She's had major surgery, yeah. but is still expected to be on top of the childcare and the breastfeeding and all that. And breastfeeding is fucking hard work, Damon. It is really tough. And Mally was struggling a bit with it and she was having a wobbly moments and I had to sit her down and say, no, come on, you got this. So basically anything, any job that didn't involve producing milk is on my shoulders because I'm very lucky and privileged at the moment that I haven't got any work to do. Um, we've, we're having our quote unquote spring break. So anything else, I'm like, let me take care of it. You just recover from your surgery and I'll try and help you through the breastfeeding as best I can. But she is an absolute warrior. I'm, I can't praise her enough. Mm, yeah. And it's weird too, because you do have those big man tits and you would think that you would be able to, <laughs> You think you'd be able to and chip in a little bit. Me. When I'm holding her, she's like, and I'm, I have to try and explain to her, no, I understand why you've made this mistake, but it's not going to work. <laughs> right. Well, again, I know everyone listening to this show is super thrilled. Um, we're, we're so happy. And again, if, if, we're, if we're, we're talking, you know, we opened the show, of course, because we are Gloom and Doom podcast. Um that is that this week it, it is that mix of emotions because we were super thrilled for you and if I say super anything one more time just punch me in the throat um, but we were and we're, we're happy and everything is okay so again we have we do have good news there so and and we needed it and we and we got it so great job by both of you guys we're we're, we're thrilled and we're uh we can't wait to see uh, esther in in the, uh, get training in the in the dojo <laughs> as you as you tweeted out and i'm sitting there david with my you know, my gorgeous newborn baby girl in my arms thinking oh, this is this is what it's all about this is life and then i found out that I've pissed off the entire fanfic community. <laughs> Why is it, Damon, that when we absolutely rip the piss out of someone's writing on the internet, everyone loves it and says it's our best ever episode, but when we genuinely like people's writing and give it earnest praise, I get into trouble. It's not fair. Did, I mean, you, you, I know you kept a lot of that stuff away from me, which is smart and good. Um, did, 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 did we get raked over the coals? A bit. Um, I, I don't necessarily think it was unfair and 
I want to try and deal with this in uh, a thoughtful and balanced way. So the best way I can deal with this, you know, last week we put out a request, uh, being the absolute attention whores that we are, that we wanted people to write fanfic about us. So yeah. we have a fanfic written about us and I'm going to read it. And key caveat here, Damon, is that I've asked permission to read this. Okay, So good. this, uh, I'm assuming I can, because I've asked for permission, I can say the person who wrote it is uh, Techersboy67. Okay. Summary, John and Damon have an experience together that they won't soon forget. So... Here we go. For reasons that will soon become clear, John and Damon found themselves standing uncomfortably close in a dark room. A light clicked on. There was a woman seated at a desk holding a clipboard. Books and papers covered the surface of the table. I'm sorry that I had to bring you in this way, she said, pointing at the Joel slash Damon tag and the explicit rating at the top of the fic. But we need to talk. Damon and Joel exchanged a glance. You see, talking about fanfic in your podcast like that is actually a major breach of ethics, the woman said. She caught them both with a hard stare. I see you wanting to click out of this fic. You can leave, but then you'll never know what the fanfic author had to say about the Super J cast. And that will keep you up at night, won't it? So this writer already knows what ridiculously huge egos we've got. She's got us down to rights, or he, or they. Uh, The woman stood up. She pressed the button and an overhead projector turned on, illuminating the screen behind her. The academic field that examines fandom is called fan studies. The articles and books cited in this fic are real, actual, peer-reviewed academic sources. She hit a button and the slide changed. It said, fanfic isn't the same as published literature. If you look at the publications in the fan studies field, you'll notice that scholars tend to approach fandom in the manner of a sociologist and not that of a literary critic. She paused, glancing at Damon and Joel. This means that scholars use pseudonyms instead of crediting authors and don't provide identifying information without a fan's full consent. She continued. Why is that? Well, she clicked to the next slide. This one said, fandom has historically been stigmatized. The fan studies field was born in 1992 when Henry Jenkins published Textual Poachers. The book was written in response to how the media and other academics were, take, were talking about fans in a negative and inaccurate way. Jenkins was the first person to postulate that scholars and outsiders shouldn't, and in fact couldn't, talk about fan subcultures without being part of the community in question, or at least in open dialogue with the community. The next slide says, exposing fanfic authors has very real consequences for their lives. Some fic authors are open and public about their life in fandom, but others are not. It's so important to respect their anonymity that fan law, a wiki about fandom and fan history, has policies in place to protect fans' identities. The woman paused for a moment. In the past, people have gotten sued for writing fanfic. Things are better now, but that's always still a risk. Individuals in the past have also faced public ridicule or have potentially lost their jobs over getting outed as a fit author. And Mally's decided this is the perfect time to put on a load of washing. So there you go. (laughs) (laughs) Some bonus background noise there. Well, I I might relocate to another room. Um, Here we go. She flipped past the list of lawsuits over fabrics. But even if it isn't that serious, it's upsetting for authors to have their fix mocked or laughed at by an audience they weren't intended for. The next slide was titled... Exposing fanfics to its subjects can harm them. Legal issues go both ways. Generally, content creators shouldn't read fic of their works because if they accidentally incorporate an idea from fanfic, the fic writer could potentially take legal action against them. She clicked Mm. through a couple slides about fanfiction about real people. Wrestling fic is generally about the characters that wrestlers are portraying, not the real people behind those characters, but sometimes that's a difficult distinction to make. Some wrestlers would probably prefer not to know that fanfic exists of them. 
The slide after that said, profiting off fanfic is dangerous. Fanfic currently exists in a bit of a legal grey area. For the most part, copyright holders won't go after fic authors unless fans attempt to profit off of someone else's creative property. In fandom, there's a general stigma against profiting off of fic for this reason. She smirked, meeting Damon's eye, then Joel's. That might be something worth considering if you're exploiting fan fiction for your for-profit podcast. Now, I've got to interject. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Wait, hold call, on here. <laughs> Let's pump, let's pump the brakes on that one. Okay, very, okay, very right. grandiose term. I think yeah. this person has grossly overestimated yeah. uh, the amount of... <laughs> well, that's fair. Clout, at least, that we've got. But, small okay. detail, small detail, but okay. We'll, well, yeah, we'll stick right. with it. She clicked to the next slide, which said, failing to respect fandom norms will result in the deletion of fix. One of the main reasons why scholars try to stay on good terms with fan subcultures is because if they don't, fans might revoke access to fan fiction and other works that they're producing. This is a subculture that has historically existed underground. Lots of it is happening in private spaces that the general public does not have access to. She regarded both Damon and Joel carefully. If you enjoy being able to read fan fiction, then don't violate the norms of the community, or people might feel threatened by your presence and take their fix down off of publicly accessible websites. The next slide said, if you want to talk about a fanfic, at the very least, get consent from the community. We're almost done. I'm sure you're pleased to hear that. You've both been very patient. She smiled at Damon and Joel. Some fans might be okay with having their fix publicised on your podcast, but others might not. At bare minimum, ask the author before featuring their work. Also, I implore you to consider the power that your podcast has in NJPW fandom and the fact that you are exposing individual fans and fan practices to an audience that includes people in the industry. This has the potential to harm folks on all sides of the equation. The woman hit the button that turned off the projector. She looked back at Damon and Joel. And that's the last from me. I'll let you get on with whatever you were about to do before I showed up. That's what you came here for, right? She winked at them, then headed for the door. I'm going to turn out the lights now. What happens next? Well, that's up for the two of you. Uh, if you want to know what fan fiction is actually about, all fan fiction, that's it. Fan fiction is having the power to decide what happens. So that's where the story ends. Presumably we, I don't know, wank each other off or something. Oh, uh, yeah, I was a little, disapp <laughs> I was a little disappointed there were no tits. But, <laughs> but, um, so all right. I, I, I've got to uh, take the L here because I wrongly assumed that if these fanfics were on public website that it was just okay to read them without asking permission and i was wrong to do that and i yeah. apologize to anyone who i might have upset or offended by reading your work uh without asking for permission should have asked for permission and i'm really sorry about that because i didn't know these things about the fanfic community and it, it's on me you know that's that's my fault i should have checked that stuff beforehand so uh we genuinely we, we approach that with an open mind we really love what we what we read we thought it was fantastic and i hope Anyone listening to this will now understand a bit more about fanfic communities and treat them with the, the respect and the privacy that they deserve. Because this is not something that they want, you know, wrestlers reading about or you know, random members of the public reading. This is their little corner of the, uh, their own community that they would like to keep private. And I violated that privacy and I apologise. It was a, an honest mistake by me. And I hope fanfic writers and the community can find it in their hearts to forgive me yeah I, I i will take the loss on this one absolutely i mean uh yeah i did i mean we i mean i don't i don't want to feel like i'm backpedaling or anything but we'll we'll we'll, we'll take the solid loss on that one that one huh i mean it does open your eyes to it i mean i we really well, again uh, we, uh, we we are sorry that that's that's that, that's a lot to uh, absorb. So, 
Hmm. I appreciate the, the time and effort that this person took into yeah. writing this response in a, a constructive and informative way. They obviously put a lot of time into it, which shows that they are open to having you know some sort of dialogue with us. And I messaged this person saying, was it okay for me to read their their fanfic on the podcast? And they said yes. So uh, a moment of reflection and growth for me, at least. There you go. All right. All right. Hopefully, hopefully we we make amends with that community again. And, and and here's the thing: at the end of the day, we really did like you know you know again we do a show and it's we try to be a little entertaining, a little tongue in cheeky, but we get it. Um, we really liked it. <laughs> we really we really did. I mean, those those were genuine reactions. So, uh, but again, I understand what was said in that piece uh, about people. You know, they don't necessarily want that type of exposure so we get it we appreciate that person taking the time to to write another good story let's put it you know not for nothing that was good too um so again and also we got a great testimonial out of it hands down the most tolerable straight dude english language puro podcast so uh, i hope we can keep that title yes me too. me too i, am, I mean I, that <laughs> I, I want a t-shirt of that can we can we make a t-shirt of that? can we get permission for that quote i want a t-shirt of that um all right, good. Uh, hopefully, everything uh, is sorted, and um, we can uh, we can coexist peacefully at this point. So uh, I don't want Joel's a new dad. He's got a lot of stress. He doesn't need this. He doesn't need this in his life right now. You know what? You know what? The worst part is it's not the actual parenting bit because you know the, the the feeding, nappy changing, washing, burping, all of that stuff. Absolutely, I, I wouldn't. You know, what's it? I like it. I like doing it. You know, it's. Cool. I love spending time with my little daughter, but it's having to deal with all the paperwork, like the insurance from the hospital, and then trying to apply for, you know, getting a birth certificate translated and certified at the same time, and then applying for her English passport, and then applying for a Thai passport, and then I've got to get a Chinese visa after that, and then apparently when we go back to China, we've got to be quarantined at a hotel for two weeks. So it's all that extra shit that yeah. makes it stressful. Not actual the interactions with. The baby itself, which are for the most part delightful. What's what's the one thing that you like? And I, I actually kind of talked about this before we even went on the air, and we we're like, we got to save this for the show. <laughs> we need all the material we can get. Um, what's what's the one thing so far that she does that just warms your like warms your heart or makes you smile or just you're like, holy shit, I'm a dad. Like, what's the one thing that you're like, ah, oh, I, I I could have this forever. The hiccups. The hiccups are absolutely adorable. She sounds like a little, you know, squeaky, chewy dog toy. <laughs> uh, I tell you what, she is adorable. Um, some of those pictures that you sent over, we were just like, oh my god, what a cutie! Ah, lucky you. I, I, I'm, I'm... I didn't want to be one of these people, Damon. Who, as soon as they have a kid, their social media just turns into like a unstoppable deluge of baby photos because I know it can get too much sometimes. So I'm trying to contain myself, but I am starting to understand the temptation of every time they do something cute or put a little funny face, you think you, you want to put that up on social media, but I'm, <laughs> I'm trying to stop myself. You can send them my way, send them my way all, all day long. Cause we, uh, again, we would, we need the smiles here. We definitely need the smiles. So, uh, fire them, fire them off. Any, anytime you're ready, you just blast them up our way. And, uh, Oh, Maybe maybe I got one right now. Did I did I just get one right now? Let me see. 
No, I've wanted to move on, so oh. let's get into the, let's get into right. the news. All 43 right. minutes into the show. Um, so, I've sent you a picture of Tommy <laughs> Yuki Yoka, or the yeah, great like your child. Have you, have you seen this before? <laughs> no, this is not your child. Um, I have not seen this picture, but he looks, um, dare I say, um, he's got a suit on, and the hair pulled back, and looking very... Um, Medievally, I'll, I'll I'll say in, in this setting, he's near like this. Uh, I don't know if it's a church or a cemetery or or something along those lines. He looks uh, he looks like he's yeah. Uh, that's what I, I yeah. Um, what do you think he's doing in that picture? Um, well, there's one where he's in prayer, right? Uh huh. Who do you think the, he's praying to? Who do I think he's praying to? Um, well, the, he's in front of a sign that I can't quite read. I hope it's not a grave. It's not a grave, is it? Uh, uh, I don't know. Yeah. Really? Uh-huh. It's it's a site of a tomb. So who do you think, you know, he's dressed up nicely, very looking very somber, very smart, and he's saying a quiet prayer to this person. I'm not going to reveal who do you think it is. Give me some guesses. Who do you think he could be praying to? Oh. I hope it's not a family member. This is turned totally morbid. Um, and I feel like I'm invading his privacy, speaking of which. Um, Should have asked him for permission. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, it's, can, can I, I'm, I'm a little, I am feel like I'm walking on eggshells now. Okay, I'll, like, tell, I'll tell you. Okay. This might, I don't know if this will surprise you or not, but I think it speaks a lot about the wonderful character of uh, Oka, King Arthur. It's King Arthur's grave that he's praying oh, to. Oh, okay. How cool it, is that? That what is pretty cool. geek this guy is. I love him. Wow. Yeah, I mean, he, he, I, hey, he looks, first of all, let's just say, he looks great. Like, he looks like a million bucks. He's ready to come back, take over New Japan Pro Wrestling, is what I'm telling you. That's why I tweeted out. I want him to do like a kind of Knights of the Round Table gimmick. I want to see him re-debuting at like a Karakuen show in like full plate armor, chainmail, broadsword, <laughs> right, riding that'd a be, horse. Right, that would be awesome. I could come in on a horse. That'd be great. Oh my god, I I I, I panicked, Joel. I was like, Joel wouldn't send me a picture of him at like a like a like a family member's grave, would he? I was like, well, he's not. I was like, oh, I'll probably <laughs> upset someone again by that. <laughs> I can't help myself. <laughs> I'm like, Joel, what are you doing? You've lost it. Um, okay, I feel better. King Arthur. Okay. Yeah, he looks great. Uh, there you go. No, I just thought it would be a, f- a funny, light-hearted thing to start. Um, that's what new. So, WrestleMania weekend fallout. So, given that WrestleMania is going to be behind closed doors, empty arena stuff, other companies are in a lot of trouble because of this. And the uh, New Japan Lions Break Project 3 show, which was scheduled to take place in Tampa, Florida on April 2nd, has been cancelled. So Ooh. that is uh, a direct effect of the uh, COVID-19 situation and WrestleMania not going ahead as scheduled. That um, Lions Break Project 3 off the table. And also the other shows like the WrestleCon, we're looking forward to some exciting matches with like Will Ospreay, Shingo, that's all off the table as well. So that's a, a big blow, isn't it? It is a big blow. Um, I mean, once again, <laughs> anything involving the United States is cursed for New Japan Pro Wrestling. It feels like, um, yeah. I mean, I'm not. I'm not so concerned about the Lions Break show. I mean, even though it's um, 
it is a New Japan show on that weekend, and it, it would have done, you know, it, it would have sold out, I'm sure, if it hadn't already. Um, the Ring of Honor show was was pretty pretty sexy as well. Um, the WrestleCon show, of course. Uh, yeah, there's a lot of people that 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 were hurting that week, you know, or the loss of that week. Um, you know, it was announced that Ring of Honor has shut down for months. I can't be a good news for Ring of Honor, a company that it feels like depends a lot on live gates. Um, they're not they're not running shows. I mean, nobody's running shows aside from WWE and AEW at this point, and they're empty arena shows, quote unquote. That weekend is a big weekend for a lot of these promoters, and and you could see online the WrestleCon stuff. I don't know if you saw a lot of that where. The Marriott was was holding them up for deposits and monies that they, they were going to, you know, making WrestleCon be responsible for. It got sorted out in the end, but they had to be pressured into it. It felt like that's a big weekend for all those those people, and I don't know how they're going to recoup. I, don't, I mean, I feel bad for those people um, and New Japan as well because again, I mean, even something as silly. And it's not that silly, but okay, we might not. It might not be our cup of tea, but even that something like the Bullet Club party that we were in, we we, we attended before, <laughs> you, know? Uh, you know, something like that. That's a big that you know to, to shell out money and then do refund. These you know, it sucks. It sucks all the way around. Now, my biggest thing is this: you were talking about flights, Joel, and how you know self the, the governments are making you quarantine when you fly back into the country i don't know how this impacts things but you know will osprey did that empty arena show in england right is he gonna have trouble getting back into japan that's a good question i'm not sure what the international travel restrictions are for people flying into tokyo so i don't know yeah I mean, I hope not because if if I mean, listen, you don't know. Well, let's put it this way: he he knew of the situation at least when he left, right? He knew that that things again, maybe not the the sweater being the string being pulled on the sweater, maybe not that bad, but like he at least he knew the Japanese situation. He bought his know. ticket. He knew what he was getting in for. <laughs> Right. So, I don't know. There's a little bit of me that's like, ooh, I know you got to work, and I know, you know, but that's was that the most responsible thing to do, to go take a flight over to, to England to do an empty arena show? I mean, I don't know. Maybe he was going there to see mom and dad. I don't know. But it did seem like uh, you shouldn't be traveling, man. You should be sticking put because you got to be ready to go if and when the company that you have a contract with is ready to rock and roll, right? You can't be you can't be quarantined for fourteen days. That's not a good that's not a good thing. Uh, I've been inclined to give the benefit of the doubt on that one, given that there is no fixed start date for New Japan. It was not an unreasonable assumption that this uh, hiatus could be going on indefinitely. So why not make the most of the time and go back and see your family? So yeah, I. I I think that's all right. All right. All right. Listen. Because I'm looking at my own situation where my my employers have 
told us if you can't make it back don't stay where you are if it's safe so right. they're not we don't have a start date confirmed yet so they they've said to us if you can get back to shaman by this date great if you can't don't worry about it okay and i guess that's a similar situation to young william all right all right listen i'm just trying to be responsible here trying to get some responsibility i just want to point some fingers <laughs> i want this to stop is what i want all right yeah but wrestlemania weekend is uh, in the shitter and it's big money for every single promotion on under the sun and we're gonna wipe the slate clean and and well, I don't know what the fuck we're gonna do. <laughs> to be honest with you, everybody. Here's here's my biggest fear, Joel, is that everybody circled the thirty first. You know, Genesis as like okay, and you know, there's hope here, and I feel like people are building up that hope really hard. I hope so. I hope in some capacity there is a show. I I hate to see what would happen if they have to cancel this show too. That that is a big fear of mine because I think everybody's resting their hopes on on this show happening, and if it doesn't, yikes, we got problems. You know that as soon as this episode is published, that is going to be <laughs> no more New Japan until twenty twenty one or something like that. So I, I'm optimistic. I'm keeping my fingers crossed that we're going to get some good news later today about Sakura Genesis and more good news, Damon Jushin Thunder Liger, your boy will be inducted into the WWE Hall of Fame. How about that? From Bash. How does Damon feel about Liger being in the Hall of Fame and will he watch it? I don't even know if the Hall of Fame gimmick is going ahead as it normally would. So is it going to be an empty arena Hall of Fame or just video packages or or nothing? But your thoughts, please, Damon. Well, from what I understand, the Hall of Fame is going to be held off until SummerSlam weekend. That was the the scuttlebutt on the street. So uh, there's that. I don't – I mean – do you think he would even go? Do you think he would go? Do you think he would go to wherever the, that ceremony was being held? If everything is back to normal and it's safe for him to do so, yeah, I think he would. You know, why not have a holiday to wherever it's going to be? Um, yeah. Where is it? SummerSlam this year? Um, yeah. Isn't it in like, well, isn't there like a takeover in Boston? Isn't it? Is SummerSlam in yeah, Boston? That's, that's the same day as MSG, isn't it? The yeah. Yeah. So he could he could go down, do the Hall of Fame, and then he can stick around for the uh, Wrestle Dynasty Dynasty show. Yeah, I mean that 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 seems very likely. That seems very likely. Um, I, I I don't. I mean, listen, I'm not going to be like you can't be in the WWE Hall of Fame. You're a New Japan guy. All right. You, know you like mean? his match with Tyler Breeze? Can we review <laughs> that one? <laughs> yes. Uh, it was a funny. You know, he did his whole shtick. He did. He did the same shtick he did. You know, every time he had to wrestle Dalton Castle. Um, look, it's just a way for him to be acknowledged, and I know I got no problem with it. Um. I mean, there's there's a lot of you know people in that Hall of Fame, and I put it in the biggest air quotes I possibly can um, that you wouldn't expect. You know, Anoki's in it. I think Ricky Dozen's in it too. Or, uh, so, look, it's good good for him. I, if he goes and everybody fawns on him over him, and you know. The the guys give him the respect that you know he's going to get. 
I, 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 good for him. I, he could be in the in the in the rodeo hall of fame. I don't give a shit. <laughs> you know what I mean? Good for him. Let him be. Let him be honored and praised everywhere. Uh, because to me, he does deserve it. Again, he from a from a pure WWEF impact, it's minimal. But there's not a person in that locker room that doesn't know him, isn't influenced by him in some small way. Um, so no, put him in. I can't. I can't believe that they actually were going to. That's that's more shocking to me that that Vince even has a has any idea who he is. That's that's kind of funny. Um, but no, I mean, I, I is it odd? Yes, but be, given that he never stepped foot in a WWF ring, E ring, WCW, yes, NXT, yes, but yeah, have a party, get a couple drinks, Uncle Jushin, you know. Get a couple slaps on the back, handshakes, get put over in front of a crowd. Ah, I'm all for it. The other thing I wanted to talk about was some of these NJPW Together talk shows that have been going off on World, which mm. I've really enjoyed. I've seen most of them up to this point. And the most interesting one to me was the Ibushi Tanahashi talk show, which started off innocuously enough, but then sure enough, they're taking their shirts off. It got really horny really quickly. Tanahashi's just talking about muscles and Ibushi's muscles. There was a little, you know, touch of the infantilization of Ibushi that a lot of people tend to do. But there was some really funny stuff, like when they started practicing a double sling blade, which to, I don't understand how that would physically work. They practiced it, but it looked like it would actually take someone's head off. Uh, asking Ibushi, who would you like to wrestle? You could wrestle anyone you haven't wrestled before. And he says, Tangaloa. He, wow. He's talking about he wants to there to be a, uh, 25 hour days instead of 24 hour days. Then we got some stuff with Yano coming out as the arm wrestling champion. Uh, Ibushi and Tanahashi like to watch each other sleeping on the bus and take sneaky photos of each other. I mean, it, it, it was pretty crazy. I thought the way it kind of like spiraled into this very uh, a kind of situation that I would have thought would be ripe for fanfic. And I want to sort of touch on the relationship and the dynamics between Ibushi and Tanahashi and uh, compare it to the dynamics with Ibushi and his previous tag team partners. Uh, Damon, did you get a chance to watch this talk show? I did. And uh, yeah, it was kind of a different feel in the sense of you kind of expected more of a, you know, for lack of a better now, a father and son. And it really didn't feel that way at all. It felt like it felt like older brother, uh, younger brother, um, if, if if we're having any type of family dynamic. But it more felt like the guy at work that is pretty cool, right, uh, but might be a little bit older, and the younger guy, you know, it kind of felt like that dynamic where, you know, they're, they're, they're sharing, uh, I don't know, Led Zeppelin albums. I don't know. Um, this is how Nicole uh, compared uh, – her analogy, because she's our resident Ibushi scholar. So she said, Tanahashi was treating it like it's a first date. Uh, quote, I want to learn more about this man with the pure soul of a boy, except now I have more questions than when I started. Yeah. Yeah. And it did, like I said, it did take a weird take of, you know, you had, you know, of course the shirts came off and the, and the muscle building and the... Uh, I... 
It, it just seemed to me like again, I was long chat with Nicole about this. I'm going to try and synthesize some of the points she made. Like, seems like one of the first times that Tanahashi's gone out of his way to not be the center of attention. He's trying to get Ibushi out of his shell to show, let people see that he's his own person, and it seems that Tanahashi is like trying to force Ibushi or encourage him at the very least to show his personality. Whereas his previous tag team, it was all about the other guy. And Ibushi came across as a sidekick, a silent sidekick. Mm. She really hates. <laughs> she really does. Um, I don't. I don't know if I felt that as strongly. Um, I will say this: that it is a a difference. I won't even say it's a different side of Ibushi that you see. Because I, I feel like you always kind of got that, like when he when he was let loose, you got craziness. You know his travel issues, um, and like the, the things that pop in my mind first. And um, you know you let him loose in on the streets of London with fireworks. <laughs> Shit's gonna happen. Um, I think he is an interesting guy, and I and I think that he sometimes I think that he's embarrassed of himself in the sense of he he doesn't feel comfortable in his own skin sharing that kind of stuff because he even knows that he's a strange bird right um and maybe yeah maybe maybe Tanahashi doing that maybe Tanahashi kind of saying okay let's be that guy you know because I think people can embrace that um, and it'll make you a better person and a better pro wrestler. Maybe. Maybe. Now that I, you know, in hindsight, yeah, maybe. But I, I kind of got more of a, I don't know, just two guys that are different generational but still have a lot of common bonds um, hanging out doing an interview. That's That's the vibe I got. There was another one that I thought was quite fun as well. Not that much to dig into, but it was the Ibushi, Taguchi, and Makabe talk show. And again, just more of Ibushi being wacky. Like He needed two adults to help him send out a tweet. Uh, but there was some fun stuff in there with everyone picking their favourite old matches and giving the context behind it. And I thought that was really interesting. Uh, Ibushi walks out halfway to go to the toilet. And in the second half of the show, he's just stuffing his face with some cookies that Yano brought to apologise to Makabe for attacking him with a chair. And so Ibushi's just sitting there chomping on these cookies and not really concentrating on what's going on. And there was a fun bit as well with Baron Yamazaki, who does the voiceovers. And he says the hardest part is doing the G1 announcement voiceovers. So I found that really interesting. So, um, yeah, that's a fun one if you've got a spare two hours to kill uh, to check that one out too. Mm. I, I didn't see that one. I don't know if I could sit through two hours of that show. <laughs> I don't. I, I would not. I can't strongly recommend that one. Like, if you're really bored and you got the time to kill, then go for it. But I do think the Golden Ace one was really interesting. You know, I even that too. discussion they had about the, the 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 syntax, like what order they put in the words in. Like, does Golden come first? Does Ace come first? And sort of digging into the sort of power dynamics of just constructing the very name of the team. I just found it fascinating. Yeah. I agree. I agree. That one's that one's the one to watch. Um, I don't know if I could sit around and watch Taguchi for two hours, 
nonsense. <laughs> not for me. He's surprisingly subdued, actually. Nakabe yeah. was the one who surprised me that he's he's really sort of at ease. He's like the alpha male. He's confident. He's quite witty. You know, he's getting the banter going. So he's surprisingly entertaining. It wasn't what I expected from Togi Makabe, but there you go. Um, speaking of speaking of Makabe, I was watching some some old classic New Japan Pro Wrestling. Uh, match was, uh, who was it? It was Tanahashi and, this is the opening match, mind you. Tanahashi, and I forget who his tag team partner was, against Shibata and Makabe. Oh my God, they all looked like kids. Um, Tanahashi and show. show. Show is the 2020 version of the 2001 Tanahashi. Uh, it, that would one thing that this time will afford people to do is to look back in those archives, and I can't recommend enough. Just going back deep enough, go into like young, watch young lion matches from way back when, you know, from you know, nineteen fifteen years ago, and just see the stars that you see now in a young lion's role. It is so great speaking of baby pictures those are adorable <laughs> those young line matches they're great uh and just to see where they where they are now so that might be something a little project people can do go back and, and watch young line matches of tanahashi and shibata and makabe um they're pretty entertaining well let's segue into the super jcast classic watch along so we got your recommendations put them all into a google doc so we thought we could do let's say four matches per week whilst New Japan's on hiatus. And so if we don't get to your recommendation, then we might get to it next week. So the first match we chose to discuss is Andre the Giant versus Stan Hansen from 23rd of September, 1981. So all these matches are on New Japan World. And I sent a tweet thread out with links to that. So if you haven't seen it, maybe pause the podcast, go and watch it. And then you can listen to our discussion with a more uh, informed context. So speaking of context, Friend of the show, Manabu, he he just gives me some great stuff because he's been following New Japan for donkey's years. So he knows all this stuff. So he talked about this match. He, he rewatched it and he says he remembers when he was a student, he watched this match the first time on VHS rental video. And when Hansen came to Japan the first time uh, in all Japan, he wasn't a great worker. But after that, he had a match against Bruno Sammartino in WWF and his terrible body slam broke Sammartino's neck. But the story was reported that Hansen broke Sammartino's neck with his Western Lariat. So that was a story that was doing the rounds in Japan. That his Western Lariat was so strong that it broke Sammartino's neck. And he says, I've heard Hisashi Shinma, who was New Japan booker at the time, came up with a finish of the Western Lariat. And the name of Hansen's theme song in New Japan was Western Lariat. And it's a shame that New Japan World edited out the entrance scene because, uh, well, maybe you can find that somewhere else. Um, but the match is great. And Ichiro Furutachi, who is a famous announcer in Japan, was excitedly talking about how Hansen was the fifth man who had managed to body slam Andre the Giant in the Japanese commentary on New Japan World. So the other four guys were Harley Race, Hulk Hogan, uh, Roland Bock, and Inoki. He says he doesn't know if it's true or not, but I can imagine it was uh, you know, quite a high status to be able to say that you body slams Andre the Giant at that time. And then after the match, Hansen did a short lariat to a young lion who was Akira Maeda. Yeah. And the sub-referee was Katsuhisa Shibata, who is Katsuyori Shibata's father. And he says he was surprised how quick Andre was when he jumped off from the ring after the match. So, Damon, this match was terrific. And the first thing that struck me was how hot the crowd are. Nick Aldis, take note. And <laughs> just the, the timing and the pacing was spot on. And they build drama from 
submission spots that probably wouldn't get a reaction today. It's just the selling and the hot grab really built up the tension. And then there's just an exclamation point at the end of each of those sequences, like a, a suplex or an Irish whip or, or a lariat that the crowd explodes for. There's a moment where Hanson goes for a basic elbow drop and he misses and the crowd react like it's frigging Naito missing the Stardust press at Wrestle Kingdom 12. And then you get these brilliant little payoffs in the match, like when Hanson finally manages to hit the Western Lariat and he sends Andre absolutely flying out of the ring. So Hanson, he's just a, a, a fantastic babyface in peril, also comes across as a badass. Andre's working the crowd brilliantly. It's just, a, a, for me, a textbook example of getting the basics in a wrestling match absolutely spot on and how over these guys were to the extent which they're working. Well, it's technically a pretty basic match. Right. It comes across as compelling and uh, dramatic due to, like I said, the pacing, the selling, the hot crowds. Uh, it's a shame there wasn't a clean finish, but it, it's a great match regardless. And there really is nobody like Andre the Giant. And a lot of people say that this is his best match. And it's not just for his monstrous, believable offense, but the way he sells for Hanson's big comeback spots as well was just outstanding. And it just made me think that New Japan really needs a new big man because... Farley's not it anymore. Lance Hodge has gone. You know, even someone like Kitamura could have been the guy, but that didn't work out. And watching this match made me realise what we're missing in that part. So what did you think of this match? Yeah, I mean, the, the problem is, is that Andre the Giants in 1981, 82, 80, you know, they, they, they don't grow in trees. Um I think a lot of people see and remember Andre the Giant, you know, you know, and why wouldn't you? You know, they're thinking back to WrestleMania three and and that Andre, the, the the guy who could barely walk, let alone wrestle. And he, and no fucking way is this guy taking a bump. But you see him literally, you know, taking back bumps and you know, selling and you know he's off his feet, and he's you know taking lariats and and going over the top rope from from the shots. Um, this is peak Andre the Giant. And when I suggested that this match be one of the the the, the, the watch alongs, I did it for that pure reason because I think people. I, I guess my goal with this match was to say, you, you know. Here's here's Andre the Giant that maybe you you've never seen before. Um, Hanson is is fantastic, and yeah, he Manabu's right in the sense of the the lariat. You know the 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 story being that Stan Hansen broke Bruno San Martino's neck, and you got to understand that, especially in the Northeast, Bruno was over as a motherfucker. Um, he to this day in this area people will mention Bruno San Martino if you mention oh yeah I watch pro wrestling and and these are people that you know in their 40s 30s 50s you know so these aren't like 80 year olds people know Bruno San Martino um so the idea of Hanson breaking San Martino's neck which apparently he did but it was yeah do the a, a botch slam or some shit um is huge. And the one thing that they it, it feels like the Japanese pro wrestling fan and 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 even the promotions themselves 
used shit that happened in other territories and other places as fodder for their storylines. Um, they were not afraid to mention, you know, Backlund being WWF champion or Ric Flair or injuries that occurred. Touches like that now, don't you, with Moxley and Jericho and these storylines bleeding over from one promotion to the other, which seems like a pretty basic thing to do, but it's something that we're not used to in recent years. Yeah, it, 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 it is. And the fact that even then, even though Andre, you know, was Andre the Giant, and he was presented as a person who, uh, you know, was an unstoppable force, it wasn't too odd. I mean, they did make a, a deal out of him being slammed by certain individuals, and I think even Ricky Chochu became one of those people after this match. Um, but it, it didn't happen often. So even the the amount of times that Andre was knocked off his feet or slammed or a shot knocked him, you know, for a loop, the the fans reacted because they knew it was a still a big deal because they were conditioned for that. Stan Hansen is fucking great. Stan Hansen might be one of my top ten favorite pro wrestlers of all time. Um, just I, I mean, consider this match, you know, early eighties. It we're we're still ten years away. From his all Japan greatness, right? I mean, think about that. We're, we're ten years, rem- you know. That's that's in the distance. That's ten. We got ten years to go. And all throughout that ten years, there was great shit. But that's pretty amazing. Like like what many consider his peak. That you know, early nineties run in all Japan. We're, we're still ten years away from that. And again, we're, at, we're we got Andre the Giant at arguably his peak physically. And, the, and a red hot crowd, yeah. I, I I don't you know. I I needed this match to be one of these matches that people saw. So uh, I'm thrilled that people, the feedback that I've seen, people really enjoyed it. Um, and if you haven't watched it, I I, I it, there's a reason why it's on the the, the list of the first four because I, I think it's again we're not looking at uh you know you know Okada Tanahashi here. But I just think that for what people remember of Andre the Giant, um, this is, to me, his best in-ring performance. Should we move on to the next match then, which was Tomohiro yeah. Ishii versus Katsuyori Shibata in the G1 Climax 2013 Day 4. So again, I'm going to give you the context of this from Manabu. So uh, regarding Shibata, there are a lot of stories about him. He left New Japan to try to get into MMA. Uh, in his MMA matches, he showed a strong mentality, but he wasn't that successful. He ended up 4-11-1 by August 2011. So suddenly the situation emerged where he had to do pro wrestling again. So on December 31st, 2011, he returned to pro wrestling to compete on the Inoki Genome Federation's Fight for Japan Genki Deska Omisoka 2011 year-end event. Uh, during that event, he teamed with a fellow pro wrestler turned MMA artist, Kazuchi Sakuraba, to defeat the team of Shinichi Suzukawa and Atsushi Sawada. And from what I understand, Shibata had a lot of fun in this match, so he changed his mind, decided to return to pro wrestling and New Japan. But he was not exactly welcomed back by many New Japan fans. Tanahashi and Nakamura have been sort of dragging the company out of these dark ages. So finally, New Japan was getting better. So then suddenly Shibata came back, who originally was supposed to be one of the three musketeers with those fellas. And Tanahashi and Nakamura pretty much hated Shibata for, for what he'd done. So especially Nakamura. So we had a match that was Nakamura and Ishii versus Sakuraba and Shibata on the 
I think this is uh, February the 12th, 2012. So this match was like a preview of the match we're about to discuss. So the Shibata Ishii match and the Nakamura Ibushi match were at the same show in Osaka during the G1. Nakamura Ibushi was chosen as Tokyo Sports' match of the year. But some people who were in the venue say that Shibata Ishii was better than Nakamura Ibushi match. And moving over to Ishii, he debuted at War, which was Tenryu's promotion, and he was just an ordinary small junior guy. Then War collapsed, and after that, Ishii wanted to be Choshu's pupil, so he re-debuted at WJ, which was Choshu's promotion. But then that collapsed too, so Choshu returned to New Japan again with Ishii. So for New Japan, Ishii was like a free gift, so he was just originally a jobber, like Doki. But he tried to make better matches every day, stepped up little by little, finally entered the G1. So for Ishii, this G1 2013 was his first year. So thank you so much, Manabu, for the context, because that really provides a lot of insight here, because you've got two guys going into this match with a point to prove. And that historical context helps you understand why this absolutely ridiculous match happens. And this is kind of like an entry-level match for when you want to recommend New Japan to a newbie. It always comes up, oh, I, I want to get my girlfriends or my mate into New Japan. What match should I show them? And this is one that comes up quite a lot. And I do miss these 10-minute violent sprints. And I, I love a short, big match. Like Okada versus Zack Sabre Jr. in the G1 last year. I love that. And that was really short too. And it also makes me realise that Ishii has basically remained unchanged for the last seven years. And just watching this, you know, how much do you miss Shibata? Oh, it, it, it hurts, doesn't it? And there were just yeah. great moments here, like Ishii no-selling the German suplex, hitting the German of his own, and then lariating Shibata out of his boots. And the headbutts as well. I'm not quite sure how I feel about those. What do you think? What do you think of the match? Oh, I mean, how many people come to us and say, you know, this was this match was the starting point of my new love affair with New Japan Pro Wrestling. This match was uh, the match that woke me up to what they were doing. Because I think a lot of people, you know, they might have been fans in the 80s and the 90s. And then they kind of, you know, for whatever reason, maybe the product wasn't that interesting to them or life took over. Whatever the case may be, they, they, they pulled away. And then, you know, they're still watching pro wrestling, but they're certainly not as hardcore into it as they once were. And then, and then they come across this, and people recommend this match. And I, I truly feel that, like, you could put a, a little marker and a little flag on this match. And to me, this is the one match that kind of helped redefine New Japan pro wrestling fandom to a lot of hardcore or at least former hardcore pro wrestling fans. Um, you're right. I miss Shibata so much. Like, you watch this match, and it's not, again, it's not flamboyancy, and it's not your pro wrestling, uh, your standard pro wrestling charisma. But holy shit, does this man have a presence and a feel, and and again for not doing a lot, has this just this aura and charisma that is really hard to replace. Like you, you, you that that was the feeling I got after I watched this. Besides, oh, what a great match! Again, a sprint 
right up, just again, they're both sitting in, in, in opposite corners and they're doing the ring introductions. And the bell rings, and they're just like two wrecking balls bashing into each other, and it doesn't stop from there. It just goes, and it's a sprint. And you're right, it's not a 30 minute epic, it is just two guys going as hard as they can for the 10, 12 minutes that this was. Outstanding. Um, some of the punches, oh, right in the mush. Uh, and keep in mind, I'm sure these guys have a lot of dings and a lot of dents, even at this point. But what we're looking at here is Shibata and Ishii. I mean, you compare it to where we are now, and even a handful of years ago. There's a lot of there's a lot more there's a lot more body damage that these guys have collected throughout the years. So we're kind of getting a little bit of a uh, a little fresher, right? A little fresher Shibata, a little fresher Ishii. Maybe even something to prove with both of them, right? To kind of show everybody what, what what they're made of. I, I, I thought this was a perfect mix. Uh, and again, I think a lot of people put a flag right on top of this match and say, okay, this is, this is where fandom took a turn and a lot of people got on board once again to New Japan Pro Wrestling due to this match. Our third match was the Steiner Brothers versus Kensuke Sasaki and Hiroshi Hase from 31st of May 1991. So again, Manabu gives us the context here. In the 90s, the Steiners were his favorite tag team. Uh, he actually mentions his favorite match as the Steiners versus Vader and Bigelow, which mm. maybe should be one we check out uh, in another week. Uh, so the Steiners versus Hase and Sasaki in Osaka Joe Hall is a rematch from their New Japan debut in the Tokyo Dome. And Manabu was there, and it was the best match in that show. We saw the Frankensteiner for the first time and all their other moves, which we'd never seen and never came up with. So they were all shocked, really excited to watch the rematch. And he says he loves their theme song in New Japan too. Uh, and strangely, the theme song is Sid Vicious's theme song in WCW, but Manabu doesn't know why. And I mean, on my part, Damon, I absolutely love the Steiners as a tag team. I just love the aesthetic of these two like ridiculously jacked up dudes in their stripy singlets. And just both of them look like absolute nutters. Like they might just start shooting on you if you look at them the wrong way. Because there's just this sense of danger and unpredictability about them. And they kind of remind me a bit of Killer Elite Squad. Like KES were getting to that point, specifically their match at Wrestle Kingdom 12, when they come charging out down the ramp looking like a pair of maniacs. And this was terrific. The dangerous drive is such a great move. And I love Scott Steiner, Scott Steiner doing his little, yeah, fist pump after he hits the Frankensteiner before he pins Hase. Um, closing stretch, reminding me a bit of the evil Shingo versus Ishigoto match from New Year's Dash. And quality, high-level, meaningful tag team wrestling. I'm a big fan. Yeah, Steiners were awesome back in the day, dude. They were great. And again, keep in mind, this is, you know, so, you know, they were brought over. Rick Steiner was in, uh, like, Bill Watts' territory. And even Scott was, too. He was, like, Scott Rick Steiner or whatever it was. Um, and he just kind of floundered in 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 Mid-South and UWF. Um, and and Rick, you know, he was, he was in Eddie Gilbert's group, but he was just kind of there. Um... And then they kind of turned, you know, uh, when when Crockett bought out Watts, and and Rick Steiner was brought over. Um, he was brought in 
to the Varsity Club. I, I really liked the Varsity Club a lot uh, growing up. It was him and, and, and Steve Williams and Mike Rotundo, and they all had their, like, their, their Letterman jackets and shit. And I don't know. I kind of dug it. And the Steiners kind of turned into by accident, it felt like. Like, it didn't really, it really felt organic. Them taking over, especially for, like, you know, newsletter readers and, and tape traders and shit like that. Like, they became the blueprint for what tag team wrestling should be. Um, and they, they felt like guys that were, you know, unfortunately, you know, like drunk frat guys or drunk rugby guys that, you know, that would... That would give you a noogie, you know, <laughs> at at a moment, or give you a wedgie at a moment's notice. But yet, you still felt compelled to watch. Um, and 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 there was at the time, Joel Scott Steiner got so like there was so much focus on on what he was able to do in the ring that there was actual serious discussion about putting having him beat Flair for the title. Um, because he, there was so much buzz around Scott Steiner. And again, this is before Big Papa Pump and that madness. Um, he was he like he was molten red hot. Um, this match, Joe, you could take this match right now and put this on a New Japan Pro Wrestling show, and it would be we would we would lose our heads over it. You know what I mean? Like we would be we would be talking about how great and how awesome these tag teams are um it, today i thought I, I the steiners were one of my favorite tag teams they still are to this day their new japan run is tremendous um hiroshi hase can we talk about him how great he is he is fantastic um and and and, and just silky smooth to me he was always one of my favorites I, I love this feud. I, I, th- th- these two teams, I would put them in the top five of my favorite tag team feuds. Um, and any one of their New Japan matches, you could sit down and watch and just be. And, and again, they would ho- they would hold up today, and that's the highest compliment I could possibly give right now. Yeah, absolutely, and I really think that's something that is has been missing. I would say over the last couple of years in New Japan, but it, it seemed like they were just about to turn the corner on that and have some like proper high quality tag team heavyweight wrestling. So we'll wait and see. I don't know if they're going to get to these heights yet, but certainly having the belts on Ibushi and Tanahashi is a good start. Uh, let's move on then to our fourth match, which was the Ganru Jima Island death match with Antonio Noki. <laughs> Versus Masa Saito, 4th of October 1987. So here's your context from Manabu. So Ganyu Ujima is an island that's well known as a place where Musashi Miyamoto fought against his biggest rival, Kojiro Sasaki. Musashi is also a famous author who wrote the Book of Five Rings, a philosopher and strategist as well. Actually, Carl Gotch was a big fan of him. Anyway, Fujinami's hobby is to visit historical places like old Japanese castles. And one day, Fujinami suggested the idea to fight against his biggest rival, Riki Choshu, on this island, Ganyu Ujima. And Inoki heard the idea and stole it. So <laughs> that's how we get to this point. Uh, you know, we're wondering what can New Japan do with this virus outbreak? The answer is staring us in the face. Have island death matches. They right. should have done this for New Japan Cup. I don't know if you've seen the movie Battle Royale, where a bunch of teenagers sent to an island, they've all got to kill each other. I was getting Battle Royale vibes from this, and I think that's what they should have done for the New Japan Cup. Uh, <laughs> 
first 20 minutes of this match was a chin lock. Yeah. And yeah. It, it, this is just so... It goes on for like an hour and 45 minutes and you've got the, the, the soundtrack of helicopter sounds. I don't know why the helicopter's there, but just the whole way through the match, you go... <laughs> so I'm sitting there. I, I'm not going to lie. I did not watch the entire thing as it is, I was just sitting there tapping the right arrow on my keyboard, just keep <laughs> flicking it forward five seconds, five seconds, five seconds. And, and I got the gist of it. Just like two fellas rolling around in mud, like 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 two guys having a scrap at Glastonbury or something. And then it starts getting dark. And this is just so weird. I, I, I'm going to say now, I want English commentary on this. Kevin, yeah. if you're listening, get on that. I want you on the full booth, you and Rocky and Gino and Chris I want all one hour, 45 minutes of this commentated in English. And just like when they start knocking over the braziers towards the end. And it did get very cinematic. You know, you got the twilight and the fire's burning. You got Saito on his knees. They're both covered in blood. There's blood smeared on the white ring apron. And you, know, you can imagine things like this inspiring modern day stuff we get, like, you know, like the final deletion. But you, you can just imagine Inoki watching this afterwards and thinking, oh, what a masterpiece this is. I am such a genius. Yeah. I, I, but it did take us about 90 minutes before we saw an actual bump. Uh, <laughs> then Inoki chokes Saito unconscious, uh, just collapses on top of him, and then walks off. And I just, uh, this is a, a funny one because it was weird and boring, but I liked it quite a lot. And I appreciate having things in wrestling that are unusual like this. Uh, and also, I'm sorry, I've got to say, I very on brand for me to be talking about this i thought it was very horny so those are my thoughts on the match very horny yeah it was incredibly homoerotic i don't know maybe it's just me but just you know the the grunting and the wrestling in the mud it was like women in love ah <laughs> uh, now imagine like so again when when we would get videotapes everything was out of order, you know, nothing was in sequential order. So, you know, you're just getting random Japanese pro wrestling tapes. And when Meltzer was kind of talking about this particular match and the buildup for this, and again, this was supposed to be the blow off um, for a, a, a rather big feud between uh, Masa Saito and, and Anoki. So they had a couple matches beforehand where like handcuffs were involved and, you know, people were handcuffing you know, their hands together and getting their asses kicked. So this was going to be the, the, the blow-off. And the way Meltzer was describing it and the, and the island and all this stuff, and, we're, and I'm, I'm reading it, and I'm like, whoa, I got to fucking find a way to find this match. So, I, you know, months later, I finally get my hands on a copy of this tape. And New Japan released it as, as, as a tape on its own. So it was like the entire videotape was sur- surrounded around this match. Unfortunately, what you didn't see, or maybe just a little glimpse of it, was it wasn't like they just rang a bell and they started the match. So you get scenes of like Masa Saito walking outside his little tent, his little dressing tent, right? And kind of like staring around and looking around and like Anoki's nowhere to be found. And you're just kind of like, he's just kind of like, waiting and then he's like oh, i guess he's not here so i'm gonna go back in and i don't know what the fuck he's doing in this tent to pass the time like he's doing crossword puzzles or uh a chin or, or push-ups or whatever and then there's like other shots of like anoki doing the same thing like just kind of like surveying and then and then they finally walk out at the same time 
and then they walk back into like they don't start. <laughs> it's just so weird, right? Then the helicopter, right? It's just constant fucking flapping helicopter that's circling this island. There's also ships that are passing by that have got to be like, what in the fuck is going on over here? Right? Just regular people going by on a fucking boat. Um, then there's the crowd. And you've got people in beach chairs. Like, there's, It's not a huge crowd, but there appeared to be people in the audience. I don't know if they were workers or, or crew or family members or what, but they're interviewing these people. And they're in these beach chairs, these lounge chairs, and they all have like like bucket hats on, you know, to protect themselves from the sun. It looks like like they're in Glastonbury, um, waiting to watch this match. So this match finally fucking happens, and you're right, Joel. It's twenty minutes of just hold. Like you could tell that they were going to go long, right? Just by the way they were doing, because they were doing nothing for twenty minutes. Like they were just lying on the mat in like a like a chin lock. And they're like, oh, all right. And then you notice on the corners, on the ground, they had these, it looked like, you know, torches full of wood. And your first thought is, oh, my God. They they need that because they're going to go, it's going to get dark. And they have no lights. And they're going to use that for for lights. And lo and behold, <laughs> we're, it goes so long that the sun sets and they need these fucking torches to light the way. And again, uh, what was uh, uh, Saito gets thrown into the, the the fire, and that helps go to the finish. But yeah, I I said Joel, we you have to watch this match just because one, it is so awful, it's great, and two, um, just for the historical context of of what. Like knowing what you know now about what pro wrestling is and all these other empty arena matches and uh, you know what are you know Bray Wyatt fucking spooky house match or whatever the fuck it was called or you know um, all these things you know kind of came from here right this was kind of like one of the first things I mean this I mean the empty arena match with Funk and, and Lawler in Memphis. But yeah, this this it, it was so absurd that it was it's it's legendary at this point, and that helps make it even greater. So, uh, yeah, star wise shit, but for the spectacle of it, it's amazing, and you have to watch it. I like the idea going forward, David. We could sort of structure it. if we are sticking with four matches. We could have like a an old classic, and then a modern classic, a tag team match, and then a weird match. Yeah. So, I, just, I like the balance that we've had this week. So maybe we can do something like that uh, next week as well. So we'll put a tweet out, seeing if anyone else has got recommendations. Uh, we've got a few that I think are quite interesting. Is it the ultimate? What's the one I'm thinking of? I'm going to have to open up the spreadsheet. You know the one I'm talking about? Ultimate Royale, maybe? Have I got that right? Oh, God. I haven't watched that in fucking ages. I want to talk about that one. But anyway, okay. we'll, we'll decide right. that behind the scenes and I'll put a, a thread up to let people know what matches we're discussing and where you can find them. Yeah. What was uh, your favorite? What was your favorite match of the four? In terms of the one that's going to stay with me the longest, I've got to say the Island Death match because just the visuals of that <laughs> and just how fucking weird it was, I'm going to be thinking about that for quite a long time. 
<laughs> That's great. I would say my favorite is the Steiners, Hase, and Sasaki, um, followed very closely by Ishii and Shibata. Um, those those might be my two favorite of the four that we had. What was your least favorite? Uh, I enjoyed all of them. I really mm-hmm. did. So I don't really want to answer that because I feel that it's unfairly positioning one of these matches as somehow bad. And I don't think any of them were bad. Oh, I, I thought, yeah? No, <laughs> even the, even the death <laughs> match, I thought it, it has some artistic value to it. Uh-huh. Okay. So right. I can't, I mean... No, I can't. I can't say which one. I, I enjoyed all of them. Oh, nice. I like that. Good. All right. Good. All right. Well, let's uh, dig in some questions then. Uh, music Damon time. Let's have a few Music Damon oh. questions. So the shirt guy says, Damon, what's your opinion on the Oasis album Be Here Now? For me, this is a record that killed the band. There are a few songs I like. Uh, however, the rest of the record is the shite music Noel wrote about in Married with Children. <laughs> um, it's Okay. Go Let It Out is probably the biggest song from there. Um, Little James is good. Uh, it's not... Yeah, I mean, if you're going to point a finger at, okay, when are we when are we falling apart, it might be might be there. There's a couple good songs on there, but uh, look, I think, every, I think the majority of bands have three solid albums in them, and then it's, it's okay, what, what else you got? You know, that's, that, that's a true test of a band that's going to pass the, the test of time. Um, usually it's three albums, and this, this one was weak. It's, it's okay. I'll give it a solid three stars. Loose Explosion Fart Cloud says, Music Damon, what are some of your favorite guilty pleasure songs? For me, it's some of the butt rock from the late 90s. Sometimes Creed will pop up on the radio and I have to crank the radio up. Feel free to judge. It's okay. I'm all about, I'm all about the 80s hair metal, right? So that's my guilty pleasure. And people will look at me like, what are you talking But like, like, like Rat and Poison and Kicks and uh, Faster Pussycat and Tesla and... Uh, all these '80s hair metal bands, dude. Uh, they're just hooky as hell, and um, I don't know. They just give me good vibes. I don't know what it is. So all those kind of glammy, a little glammy, a little glammy uh, '80s hair metal bands are are definitely my guilty pleasure, um, without question. Yeah. Dark Koala says, "Who's your favorite Beatle?" I always liked Ringo. I was a big fan of the uh, really? film Yellow Submarine when I was little. And for some reason, the character of Ringo resonated with me. I think it was because he was the one who showed kindness and empathy to the little nowhere man and let him go with him at the end. So maybe that's why I like Ringo, because of his actions in the Yellow Submarine animated film. Uh, <laughs> how about you? I've always been a John guy. Um, to me, those are, those are the songs, the, the ones... Uh, John Lennon were wrote and were a part of, you know, were the focus of. I think I enjoy a little bit more than the jaunty McCartney stuff. Um, I just, I, I don't know. I just kind of like where Lennon's headspace was with a lot of a lot of the Beatles stuff. So yeah, I'm definitely more of a Lennon guy. And RSY1376 says, best debut album ever. And why is it either Oasis or The Stone Roses? Great one, yes. Uh, It's tough. Again, Stone Roses, that album is fucking great. And it did break down the doors for a lot of the bands I listened to. But that first Oasis album, man, that woke people up. 
It really did. It, it felt like it just shook everything. Um, I'm surprised the person didn't say Jesus and Mary Chain because, quite frankly, I think that might be my my my, my number one debut album. Uh, but uh, but for the two that he picked, I'll go Oasis. Now we're going to move to video game Joel time. So Face Collector yeah. 420 says, what, which are Joel's favorites Metal Gear Solid titles? I have played one, two, three, and half of four. So I haven't played five yet, so I can't comment any further on that. How would I rank them? I think, I don't know, because I can't really remember much about three, but from what I hear, it's worth revisiting. I think two might be my favorite, because I just like when it gets all weird at the end, and you get like the weird glitchy um codec calls from the, the captain the chief or whoever he was and you're running around naked and the music's all weird and i just i kind of liked what they were going for there i thought it was quite memorable and uh, darth koala says have you played yakuza 6 with the njpw dlc i've not played any yakuza games yet unfortunately i'm stranded away from my playstation so i'm not allowed to well, i don't have access to all my big library of games i've been mainly playing uh, the Binding of Isaac Rebirth. Um, I've just finished playing Hollow Knight, so as soon as I get back to my PlayStation, hopefully I get that home quarantine so I can smash the PlayStation while I'm stuck at home for two weeks. So, All right. um, there we go. There's video game Joel time. Um, uh, no, no, I got more for video game Joel. Video, right. video game Joel's got to stick around because I got some questions. So, I purchased the two subscription things. I purchased the online thing. I have that. I can play online now, right? So, if you want to fucking play, I'll fucking challenge you to anything. I can't play anything. I play stick what? Anything. Uh, Rocket League. Okay. I've never played that before. But I mean, I, I, I played like three times, dude. So, I mean, uh, or if you want to play some other, like FIFA or something. FIFA. Oh, okay. Now, this this could be arranged. Let's yeah? try. Long-term goal. When I'm back in Sherman, we'll get a, an online FIFA game. Maybe a tournament game. We'll get the <sighs> All right. Involved. All right. I, I, I stink, and I've never really played. But I, I would do that, okay? Yeah, we'll do that. And then two, I also have – I bought the um, – the um, what's the thing where you get like three video games uh, a month that you can – and then a whole slew of back catalog and shit. Is that what, – whatever service that is. Um, and there's a new video game that looks looks amazing, but it's like you got to kill these giant stone – Colossus, is it? Is that what it's called? Something Colossus? Shadow of the Colossus. Yes, yes. That is, is amazing. That is one of my all-time favorite games. Really? You're, you are in for a treat. I want you to play that. I want that to go at the top of your list, okay. front of the queue, and I want weekly updates. We're going to have Shadow of the Colossus Corner with Damon because I uh, adore that game. Oh, all right. Nice. It looks amazing. Like, I just don't know if – like, I'm not good at video games. So if I, am I going to get really frustrated and be like, fuck this, I can't do this? Is it, is it, is it, is it tough? Not really. I would say it's actually more of a puzzle game. In okay. a weird way, but it's framed as something else. But it's just, I think, a really beautiful experience. It is elegant in its simplicity. It looks beautiful. Uh, looked looked fucking amazing. So I have that, and and I will I will get that rocking. If not today, then tomorrow. And then my last one is this. I got to give a shout out. Uh, I got back into Fire Pro, and I downloaded a whole bunch of shit. Um, a lot of edits, a lot of rings. I love doing it. Had them just farting around. Um, and then. Uh, there is uh, one of our listeners. Uh, is it DM, DNMT, is it? Um, he's pretty well known for making edits 
on Fire Pro Wrestling. Uh, I downloaded a bunch of his stuff, and I, and it's weird because Fire Pro, you, you like if you build these custom edits, you have to if you if they're using a certain download pack. Um, it won't show up. So I, I spent like $50 downloading all these fucking packs. I swear to God. Um, but I'm all caught up and I got his his uh, edits. And they're really awesome, honestly. They're really the, the most realistic and true edits out there. So I was playing a lot of New Japan stuff. He did a lot of uh, New Japan stuff. So uh, shout out to uh, him for making that happen because um, he helped me kind of help walk me through a little bit too. He hit me up. I was I joined their uh, Discord server just because I wanted to see who else had edits and shit. Just I, I, like I'm not gonna talk, but um, I just wanted to see what was going down. And he noticed I was there. He's one of the mods. He's like, "Hey, I, uh, you're, you're, I, thanks for hanging." You know, blah, blah. I was like, "Yeah, cool. Um, help me." <laughs> and he did. So uh, yeah, shout out there. Excellent job. Taking to the Discord questions, Nicole says, "Daddy Joel, question: Will you be forcing your child to adhere to a 24-hour day cycle, or will you allow them?" The freedom to explore a 25-hour day cycle is so desired. The thing about having a, a young baby is you are locked into this repeating three-hour cycle. So you're supposed to feed them at least every three hours. Even if they're asleep, even if you're asleep, you're all waking up and you're all having a feed. So because, obviously, Mally needs to be a part of that because she's provided the breast milk. But I, out of solidarity, I want to wake up as well and help out with that and burp esther if needed change a nappy whatever just so man doesn't feel like she's on her own doing that so it's kind of weird adjusting your your body clock i guess to be working in these little three hour cycles where you know even when you're putting your head on the pillow at night you're going to be up in less than three hours which is kind of a weird experience mm, yeah let me ask you this i got a, i got a daddy question for you have you tried any of the breast milk I haven't actually. I, th- I should. I think I should just, you know, for investigative yeah. purposes. Yeah, but yeah. I'm a bit scared too. So I'm going to ask Mally actually. Hold on a second. Apologies right. for the noise. Mally, have you drunk your own breast milk? No. You haven't tried it yet? Are you interested in trying it? Are you interested in trying your own breast milk? Or you yeah, live on the air. Live on the air. <laughs> uh, I can't at the moment because she's feeding You're Esther. So uh, <laughs> maybe we can do that next week. All right. All right. Very good. Yes, please. <laughs> okay. Uh, Infinity says, Damon and Joel, top three favorite New Japan wrestlers entrance theme songs. It can be current or all time. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. We did this before, I feel like, but uh, I will revisit. Uh, one is Ricky Choshu's theme. Uh, it's very uh, synth poppy. Um, has a little Depeche Mode feel to it. So I always love Ricky Choshu's. Uh, Kushida, I always love the opening, the little drum, the kick drum beginning, and then uh, the, the guitars. Love the Kushida one. Um, three might be... Um, hmm. <sighs> Okada's is pretty great. O- Okada might be might be my third. The, the, those, those three. I'll give you a little classic, a little mid-range, and then a current. I've got to go Suzuki. Yeah. Kazunina Raid. That is a classic. And it's a weird one, but I really enjoy the G1 Climax 2014 theme, which I think I've spoken about before. And that one is on the NJPW Greatest Music 3. And another weird one, I really like the um, Dominion theme. Uh, I don't yeah. know why. I just, that, that one, I just absolutely love it. It just makes me excited for 
because it kind of coincides with the end of my academic school year and usually I'm excited because I'm going to be traveling over to Osaka to see the show so there's all that excitement of not only summer holidays going to Osaka got a big wrestling show to look forward to and I just think it's a, a great song as well yeah it brings back good memories I like Hanson and Brody and it's not a New Japan one unfortunately but when they would tag team in all Japan, they would have that mashup between the two themes, and Brody's, you know, is covering uh, "Immigrant Song" from Led Zeppelin, but it's like it's like almost like a French horn, I guess it is. It's like, wah, wah, wah. <laughs> it's just fucking hilarious, and then it blends into that bah, 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 of uh, Stan Hansen. I like that little mashup. That's always a good one. And says. What would you both consider the best long-term stories told in recent-ish New Japan history, e.g. Naito Redemption arc, Tanahashi Okada, Yoshihashi and Trying? You can't go wrong with that Naito Redemption arc. I mean, a story that began from, what, Wrestle Kingdom 8? Yeah. The payoff at Wrestle Kingdom 14. That's pretty impressive. Yeah, it's hard to fucking beat that one, right? And again, if you just think about the history of this show, and, and uh, I was actually going through some old files, and I found the opening of, remember we did the Naito after G1, the Nine Inch Nails Hurt? <laughs> yes, that card was brilliant. You did a terrific job of that. <laughs> um, and it's just, you know, your boy, I don't want him to be, but you're, he's a geek. <laughs> um, that was pretty great. We are a good show. Um, yeah, I mean, that's that's hard. That's hard to beat if, if, if right off the top of my head. That is a really solid one. Um, trying to think of like any any other ones like like that come instantly right right to me. Um, and that's probably the that's probably the one that that sticks in my head the most right now. I mean the 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 the, the Choshu turn is one of the most pivotal moments in Japanese pro wrestling history, mind you, uh, and how that was done. You know. Choshu coming back from excursion, feeling like he's you know left out of the loop, and um, you know that tag match again. I'll never forget. It's at Cork and Hods. It's Anoki and Fujinami and Choshu against the massive team of Bad News Allen, SD Jones, and Abdul the Butcher. <laughs> I just love that that threesome, um, where the shit hit the fan and changed the course of Japanese pro wrestling. Okay, next question is Jay Reezyman, what would a super show of Japanese companies look like? Well, again, we've talked about this in previous shows. Look at that uh, giant Baba Memorial show. Lots of multi-man tag matches. Um, you're not going to get the one-on-one dream matches that you think you might. Um, so, again, if we get one this year, there was some talk of that. It's just going to be like, you know, Kiyomiya and Miyahara against Okada and Yoshihashi or something like that. So when you've got those big main event tag matches with the big guys, you always got to have a fall right there. So they're always fun, but they're never as good as you would hope they would be. Right. But I'll tell you what, wouldn't the climate be perfect for a little little, little gift for everybody who's patiently been waiting, all these pro wrestling fans from all these different companies? Wouldn't that be nice to have one little super show? Wouldn't that be something special? Is is the climate right for that? Are we could 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 our hearts handle that? It would be brilliant. I think it would be the perfect time, perfect atmosphere. People would love it. But again, you just just run into the same political problems, don't you? Of who's going over? I know, I know. Come on, listen. We're getting a, we're getting a fucking 
trillion dollar stimulus. The government is actually going to give every citizen money, Joel. Do you hear this? Andrew Yang, baby. How he much went- you getting? <laughs> They're talking like up to like $2,000 per person a month. Huh. Put that way in the Japan songs for January. <laughs> I, I'm, I'm going to need it because with, with these two fucking jobs out, out, I don't know I don't know where I'm coming up with the money to fucking do anything. I'm going to have to sort of Goddamn GoFundMe for crying out loud. Won't be from this podcast, I'll tell you that. <laughs> You've got that right. <laughs> uh, all right, give me another question. A uh, couple more because i got to get to work. Okay, uh, Vase Collector 420 says, Has New Japan always had valets? Who were some of the first in what decade when past or present favorites? I mean, present favorite, obviously Miho Abe. But yeah. mate, can you remember any historical valets from New Japan? I mean, I, mean, I wouldn't consider China one. Um I mean, Amber Gallows, but that's not that far back. Um, some, I mean, nah, I was going to say sometimes you would have like all like if they married a, a, a person that worked for New Japan, maybe you would see them come to the ring. But I don't consider that if that's not a valet to me. Um, I remember Medusa. Remember uh, Medusa? She. During the the second G one, she was out there with Rick Rude, um. So I mean, playing the role of like like an Elizabeth almost. So if you go back and watch that that G one that final against uh, Masahiro Chono uh, and Rick Rude, which is a really good match, really good match. Uh, Medusa is is at ringside, um, playing the role of a valet. So that that might be one of the one of the ones I remember going back. You know, 20, 30 years. One more question then. Edited yeah, let's Yeah. Why is Scampy such a chunk boy? Uh, I miss Scampy very much. He, I, I yeah. yeah. <laughs> I don't really know what else to say. He's my, my little friend, and I'm very much looking forward to seeing him again and giving him a big cuddle. Yeah, I know. Um, I know that... Uh, uh, he's he's uh, going to be a little surprised to have an, 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 a new uh, a new roommate. So uh, everybody's excited. Everybody's excited to get you home. Um, is there when when is the when are you looking at returning home? As soon as I can get the China visa for Esther, then we'll head back. But we're just waiting on so many things in the interim. Like at the moment, waiting for a birth certificate, and then once we got that, we got to apply for the two passports. I don't know if we can do both at the same time, or we have to do one after the other. And then, as soon as we got the passports, we can apply for the China visa. So I have no idea how long that takes. But hmm. uh, luckily, I'm not under any time pressure as far as work goes with the online learning. So yeah, it's all good. All right, awesome. All right, listen. Let's wrap this one up. This was uh, this was a fun one. We 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 started out a little. I don't know. I, I like this show. I think this show was fun. I, I actually had a lot of fun doing it. So I'm glad that we got together again to do it. Um, and then we'll we'll work on some matches later on this week. Hopefully, we get some good news later on today. And uh, fingers crossed, we we can all get through this. Hopefully, uh, this was this show was a little entertaining for each and every one of you. Hopefully, we made you giggle a little bit, get your mind off of this shit storm that we're in um and again let's keep our fingers crossed hopefully new japan will be back shortly and uh we'll have some we'll have some deeper dives to talk about just had a strange thought when esther grows up if she ever goes back to listen to this podcast episode of her father giving his reaction to her birth that's going to be very strange a very uh 
millennial thing, isn't it? <laughs> <laughs> but <laughs> but it's true though. I mean, this would be the the equivalent of a photo book, right? You know, you you she would be able to listen to this show. Uh, and hear your real time thoughts. I mean, no, I mean, nobody thought about doing that when I was, you know, born. Right? My dad wasn't going to get go on a, a recorder on, on a cassette tape and be like, "Yeah, Damon shit the bed again." <laughs> you know, that ain't happening. So, uh, yeah, it is a little slice of uh, history. That is a, that is a very awesome thought, actually. Very very cool. So, for posterity, I should end with something soppy. So, Esther, I love you. I love changing your nappies and feeding you and burping you and all that stuff and so happy to finally have you in the world with us and ah. sign out from then um plugs redcircle.com forward slash shows forward slash super dash j dash cast if you want to show some appreciation and some money because we both need it i'll tell you that yep. uh discord link is in the show notes uh, if you want to join uh, oh we've got some exciting news on the discord we're starting to do live streams aren't we so people are streaming various tv shows and wrestling matches and things so uh definitely worth checking out if you have find yourself social distancing with a lot of time to kill pro wrestling tees.com forward slash super jcast massive thanks to editor dan at lousy hero 219 on twitter subscribe to the voices of wrestling podcast network give us a five snake review on itunes follow us on twitter at super jcast thank you for listening sorry about the audio quality and goodbye